0: And welcome to another episode of the no award-winning riz talks money and i am joined by the legendary john chong of investing reviews john it's great to see you again
1: thank you for having me,
0: my friend how are you keeping today not too bad yourself fantastic fantastic john i am living the dream it's well, certainly the,
1: month, the months ahead i hope so yeah So,
0: John, let's uh, dive straight in. Uh, I know your time is very precious. With regards to the base rate decision last week and with the information about the outlook of the interest rates going forward, what do you take from the conversations that the Monetary Policy
1: Committee had afterwards? Um, Same old um as november um they left that that key line in there which is that um i mean i am I don't remember the exact line but it goes along the lines of pretty much how further tightening might be required if inflation continues to to remain high and you need that line out of the minutes um or the report if you want to you know be more dovish um on on the outlook ahead <clears throat> but i will say um that there was some tinge of optimism because um Andrew Bailey at the press conference didn't you know refuse uh refuse to rule out a, a rate cut this year which is always good signs um and the fact that inflation despite it ticking up in December and coming in above consensus actually came in below the Bank of England's estimates so that's pretty you know it's pretty good still below the estimates. so um there, there, there's some room for for what 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 I would call um, downside potential uh, rather than upside risk in this instance. Meaning that, um, you know, e- even if inflation does come in a a little bit above consensus in in the months ahead, the Bank of England is estimating quite a high bar for for inflation. So that leaves quite a bit of room for for some optimism on that front.
0: The one thing that uh, I think Andrew Bailey said in the press conference after the base rate decision is that they're going to be mindful of the language that they use because they can appreciate the implications that that has, or words to that effect. Now, for a central banker, let alone the governor of the Bank of England, to know that their words can potentially move markets, I thought to bring that into the game so uh, late in the day it was quite amusing. John, how important when you're having these decisions from policymakers, from central bankers is the language that they use after they've made their decision
1: and how does the mar- how do the markets interpret that information? Um, I mean I would say that you know the, the language matters as much or, or if not arguably is more important than the rate itself. You know, especially at at, at this juncture where, where they're holding um and, and not giving any um you know guidance on on you know hiking. But I mean they're still gonna the, the next move is probably gonna be a cut anyway. Um, but because we're at this juncture where we're holding and we're sort of deciding how many cuts and when they're gonna cut, um, the market sort of you know it's a forward moving mechanism. So they're always gonna guess what the next move is. So if let's say Andrew Bailey comes out and says, you know we're not ruling out rate cuts, so that means that there, there probably will be rate cuts this year. The market isn't going to, you know, s- stick the the gilt yields or your swap rates at five point two five percent, which is where the base rate is at now. They're going to think, okay, because I think they're going to cut mid year, you know, we're going to forecast maybe four cuts ahead. So that's going to bring it down to you know your four point two fives, your your four point fives. So that's kind of where like you know that sort of range is where swap rates are currently at anyway. Uh, if you look out, you know, two five years uh, on the gilt yields as well. So, um, I mean, I would say that the bank rate at this juncture does matter, but it doesn't matter as much as what the market is forecasting. Which is why, you know, on a day where some MPC member comes out with a speech um, and and has some sort of hawkish rhetoric, um, you'll see that swap rates go up and then stocks go down. Um, and, and the bank rate actually doesn't really matter at this rate.
0: I think also what we uh, need to consider is that we still had, um, we still have members of the MPC who think that there is a need to even increase rates even further this meeting and obviously the last meeting of 2022. Yeah. Do you think the track record of the MPC so far has been spot on? given that now we're out of 2023 and we can look back and see where we are how yeah. how, how has the monetary if you were to grade the performance of the mpc based on where we are at the moment how would you grade
1: them um i mean on it, it's always easy to i suppose to say you know retrospectively speaking um it, it's it's i i acknowledge that it's actually a very tough job. It's not as easy as you know. You go in there and you say, "Oh, inflation's high, let's hike," or oh, "Inflation's coming down, let's cut." Because there, are, you know, a lot of implications behind that. Plus the fact that they got it horribly wrong, arguably horribly wrong, you could say. But they got it wrong for sure um, when when inflation was going up, and they don't want to, you know, make that same mistake that oh, inflation's coming down, let's cut early because everyone wants that as much as you and I both want it. Um, you know they don't want to cut early and then see inflation research um you know six 12 months down the line and then everybody's going to blame them again so they're very wary of that you know at the end of the day you've got to remember that these are all human beings you know at the end of the day that they're, they're still human and they've got these emotions um you know and past experiences that they're going to come back and haunt them and and them getting it wrong on the way up is gonna you know it's going to put some doubt as to whether they're they're going to want to cut that early um that's not great john yeah yeah but um i mean in terms of grading them on a relative basis they did start actually slightly earlier than the fed um so you know and they're
0: more than likely will any cuts will come after the feds made their move so jerome powell i think was saying recently that he doesn't think that anything's likely to happen so even if we get fed cuts in march uh time or slightly thereafter i don't think we're looking at any cuts in the uk until early summer what yeah, do you think
1: i would say so <clears throat> yeah based on based on our forecast as well we're, we're thinking either um you know june july august that, yeah. that sort of period um at the earliest you know if if inflation for whatever reason continues to surprise to the upside you don't don't expect the rate cut till potentially q4 Um, But But then, John, they
0: they did say that the expectation is that we'll come down to 2% and may even exceed the 2% come Q2, and I think they were talking about April, uh, May time, and then don't be surprised if it spikes from there onwards. Do you think that that is a likelihood for the trajectory to keep on going the way that we need to do to go, or do you think that literally we're going to have a bumpy road ahead with regards to interest rates uh, in the UK and inflation expectations for
1: at least the next 12 months um yeah it's it's definitely going to be a bumpy road um because okay so how it works is that it's going to hit our forecast is less than two percent come april because of huge drop in energy prices uh and food prices and some non-shop inflation i sorry non-food inflation prices as well and 2% um, is the construct or the, the
0: global economy uses generally in terms right. of a benchmark for inflation. That's yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, yes, you hit the Bank of England's target, you know, but you, you've got to sustain it there. And if it doesn't sustain that because, you know, of, of other, you know, second round effects is what we call it from high wage um, pressures from the high minimum wages. You've got, you know, high pension incomes coming in. Um, sticky, sticky core and sticky services inflation uh, you know from high demand as well. So it's unlikely that it stays at or below that 2% mark. The only scenario that I can see that happening is if come March or April, more, more so April, that inflation figure comes to like miraculously like 1% because the uptake from that, that means that prices have dropped significantly um, on average. Although still inflating. And then come, you know, when the second round effects come in, they come in and they boost that inflation figure to maybe 2.1, 2.2%. And then maybe the Bank of England says, okay, maybe we can, you know, be, we can afford to cut. Um, But, you know, then you've got the the diminishing effects of of food and energy as well going into the second half of the year, because that's when uh, disinflation started happening with food and energy. Um, So, you know, that isn't going to push inflation down. It might even push inflation up. So, you know, you've got these these things to contend with. But what I will say is the, the silver lining is that the Bank of England got their forecast terribly wrong on the way up. So they underestimated on the way up. And now the good thing I suppose you could say is that they've been overestimating on the way down. So their forecast says, you know, two-ish percent come Q2, come Q3. If you know, they are actually overestimating like like we think that they've been, then there, there might be actually room for, for more rate cuts than expected. But like you said as well, that kind of depends on what the Fed's next move is as well.
0: John, we've got a budget coming up in a few weeks and initially we were getting excited because mm-hmm. we thought that with the OBR numbers that were returned back to the government with their costings, there was some <laughs> going to be some decent headroom for interest rate cuts. Subsequently, we heard that Treasury uh, Treasury officials were telling ministers that there actually isn't that much in the pot to uh, cut taxes and for people to wow. give us the uh, to give the electorate a sweetener to try and win favour of voters coming in the pending election. Which, when all said is when all is said and done, at the moment looks like to be a complete uh, Labour whitewash. Mm, yeah. So, my question to you, John, is. Let's say, for example, that we do achieve some uh, tax cuts in mm-hmm. the forthcoming budget. What implication could that have going forward on inflation? And could that harm us more than the good it would do?
1: I mean, it's a tricky one. Um, it, we're, here to ar- tricky. we're here to answer tricky questions, John. Yeah. I mean, what we will say is that, um you know come april that's when you've got those second round effects coming in from you know like i said higher wages and higher pensions you add the two percent drop off in the national insurance tax that we all got um at the start of this year um and then on top of that you've had you know although the, like this set of tax cuts are probably going to be you know minimal to say the least um they might have some form of inflationary impact, especially on the services front. Don't forget that, you know, 75-80% of our GDP at the end of the day comes from services. So, you know, we, we're services economy, services inflation is sticky. That could drive real wages up, which is a good thing. You know, it drives consumer confidence up, but oh, it'll be tricky to get that service in, services inflation down because of employment as well. You've got you know, yesterday the ONS just came out with a revised figure for unemployment. It's it's much lower than expected, but that's because um, of the participation rate. So you've got fewer people wanting to work. You've got you know labor shortages uh, to contend with. So it, it yeah, it's it could bring inflation up. But like I said earlier, going back to my previous point, if for whatever reason, God send, you know, inflation comes in one ish percent <laughs> come come April May um then maybe just maybe yeah who knows two ish percent less than 2.5 percent um in q3 and q4
0: john what else do you think that realistically the government could do to stimulate the economy without causing any type of inflationary pressure if you look even back and look at the market since 1929, in Mm. uh, one of my favourite films of all time, John, uh, Margin Call, um, Mm. there's a scene at the end where uh, he's talking to the young analyst who basically uh, saw what was coming and he's trying to keep him on. Uh, And no, actually, it's not in that scene. Sorry, I'm recalling it wrong. He's talking to one of the senior uh, traders of his and he's talking about how they've come through these economic messes before. If we go back even until the 1929 Wall Street crash and look at the major uh, downturns in the economy, Wherever they have happened and the market has taken a lull, there's been something where the market has then subsequently exceeded in the boom periods, the previous low, and then the next recession will come in. And the cycle has been just like you can look at house prices going upwards, but it's been up and down and up and down and up and down. My question to you is, firstly, with historic low interest rates since 2008, do you think that the UK PLC was due a number of recessions in that period of time? And had we actually had them, it wouldn't have necessarily been a bad thing. And when we have felt the downturn now, it would be less of a situation. And my second part to that question is, What is going to help take us back out? Where is the boom going to come from? Because as a country, you mentioned we are a very heavily dominated service industry. You may look at banking and other areas of where we ultimately, or we may at one point have led the way. But I can't see any particular industry or any particular area that's going to give us the boom to get out of this, whether you look just at the UK domestically or whether you look at globally. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, okay, to, to answer your first question, um, wow, that, yeah, that, again, that's a tough one on on whether, you know, uh, if we had a recession earlier, whether we would be, you know, in less of a recession now. <sighs> uh, I don't think so. Um, I'm going to have to think about it, I suppose, if you want a, a more detailed answer. But just on top of my head, thinking out loud, I don't think so, because, um the, the inflationary impacts that we had from this, from the get-go was because of, of, you know, supply chain issues. And then that sort of evolved into, you know, this whole, this whole, you know, cycle of, of wage, wage spiral inflation, arguably. So, you know, we, that, that sort of few years um, where we had artificially low interest rates that was meant to, you know, theoretically stimulate the economy, but that was already, you know, sulking. And you could see like, yeah, that was post Brexit as well. Um, and the UK stock market hasn't done well since, uh, it's been derated lower and lower. Yeah. You've got fewer, you've got fewer tech, tech stocks in the FTSE, land uh, let alone the FTSE 100, which is why, you know, returns excluding dividends has been quite pathetic. Um, it's been flat, actually. So, um, but yeah. To, to answer your first question, I don't think so. But the second question is, what what can we do to to get out of it? I mean, economics and well, politics as well. It's all you know, theory at the end of the day. Um, and the past is just you know uh, evidence of that. You had economists saying, "Oh, we're going to enter a hard recession." Uh, in late 21 early 22 and then that didn't happen um quite the opposite so it's it's difficult to predict but just theoretically speaking I would say yeah you would probably need to encourage more uh, like I said in your previous podcast more foreign investment um more more firms to take on you know the the I hate to say this term but the AI revolution um, because that's uh, that's I think that's I think you know one of the the ways for us to get out of this slump. Uh, because productivity in the UK is actually quite terrible, uh, especially if compared compared compare to the US. Uh, output per hour um, is quite low as well, uh, and, and it's quite stagnant actually in in real terms. So, um, yeah, John you're, probably...
0: you're, John, you're looking to the West for the solution, and you're looking at comparing us to the US do you not think that the paradigm has changed now and we are looking over to the east with regards to where the future is going to come especially with you know the likes of saudi now joining the brics and the closer correlation that the countries in that part of the world seem to have with regards to trade is it ray not ray dalio who thinks that essentially these economies go through cycles and we're coming up to the end of the U.S. dominance in this area.
1: Yeah, um, that's been going on for the past few years, um, you know, since arguably 2016, um, you know, about the demise of the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar. Um, but yet now, you know, you take a look at China, for example, they're going through a terrible slump. Uh, the Government just had to ban short selling on their stock market. Um, don't mention everground yeah well yes everground as well um you know the the government had to set up their own etf just to buy securities to prop up the market um you know and even sort of stop people from selling certain securities as well so that's you know um it's not very reflective of of the case of, of yeah we should look to the east I'm not gonna say that oh, we're gonna rule China and that's it for China. Obviously not. Uh, they're still gonna grow GDP by you know large swaths, um, but then you shouldn't discount the power of the U.S. economy either. You know, a lot of people were saying hard landing, uh, or, or even you know soft landing. Supposedly that they are on track for for potential no landing scenario in this instance. Um, you know, the Q4 GDP smashed consensus estimates. I think they were estimating one ish percent it came in like three percent um so so the q3 so you know and 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 they're they're getting inflation under control as well so um don't forget that yes you've got breaks that pose as a threat but at the same time china and india don't really like each other you know they don't really talk to each other um and india sort of you know they're cozying up with the u.s as well it's not as if you know they, they want to topple it it's sort of like just Putting your eggs in different baskets. So, do I think that the the demise of the US is is set? Probably not. It may happen in our lifetime, but not not yeah. in time enough.
0: But John, you mentioned uh, you mentioned there with regards to the US, and yes, okay, I agree with the dominance. And you only need to look at the fund fact sheets of a a lot of funds, and obviously the ones that are. Uh, More into the global equities, and you can see the dominance of uh, US equities and US companies within there. Coming back to your other point with regards to AI, now to increase productivity, if you're saying that we need a shift, and Rishi was trying to make the UK the AI capital of Europe, if not the world, and failed miserably when he tried to get Elon come over and fanboyed (laughs) over him. Uh, If you're looking at AI, ultimately ai is going to lead to job cuts yeah so by productivity yes we're going to have productivity on one side but then we're going to have potentially greater unemployment and issues with the labor market so how do you balance the two when you have such a mentor shift technologically coming through
1: um yeah, that that is a good point because um, that's been one of the main talking points about AI since it's come to prominence over the past twelve months. Um, but from from the other side of the aisle, uh, and I, I mean, I do, I I'm not sure to be honest. From 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 my personal perspective, I can't definitely give you an an answer. But from what I've read from the other side, is that most of the jobs I suppose that you could say that AI is going to replace are low productivity anyway, low output um in the sense where it's sort of stuff that's that can be automated um and the sort of thing that if you want to really increase output quality employment if you will um ai isn't going to really come for that job because th- those types of jobs anyway because you need um, a lot of critical thinking and a lot of um sort of hum- humanizing with the with the experience in of in of itself when it, com- that, it com- that comes with a job um, I mean, I can, I can give you an example, like myself as an analyst, if you try to ask, you know, uh, chat GPT to go and pick you out the, you know, the 10 best stocks and why that may be the 10 best stocks. Um, it might give you a couple of good ones just because of, you know, like your NVIDIAs or whatever. Um, but so can a five-year-old tell you like NVIDIA up 200%, that kind of thing go buy because it's a good momentum buy, but it can't, you know, sensibly pick out, let's say bargain hunts. Um, that sort of thing, because those are things that require intuition, um, personal experience, sort of trend lines um, through economic data, and everything has to be assessed all at once. It's not just sort of oh, GDP is up, so this is going to go up, um, or nurses, that kind of thing. Where you need that human touch. So, yeah, AI will come for, for, for you know a fair few jobs, but not not the ones that that you know with would boost productivity. And AI would actually be a net gain, I would, I would think, because it's going to help automate those, you know, tedious tasks that you'd have to do, like data sourcing or or recording data in of itself.
0: So, John, let's move over to now the outlook for the UK with regards to property. Now, let's talk house builders what do you think the outlook is for the larger house builders in the UK? How closely are they looking or waiting to see who wins the election before they make any major moves? And do you think there are any particular parties that they would prefer to uh, be inhabiting 10 Downing Street?
1: I think... They probably might want um, the Tories, I would think, um, because even though, like you said earlier, the Tories are probably not going to win it anyway, uh, based on poll numbers today. Um, but they probably want the unfortunately, Tories.
0: Unfortunately, because... sorry, qu- yeah. qu- qu- announced today that he's uh, not standing at yeah, the next that, election. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, either. That, so yeah. that 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 will be another another one that bites the dust.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah going going back to, to to your point um yeah they probably want the Tories because you know you've got uh they don't want more tax and yes you know your your shadow chancellor said we're going to keep corporation tax in, at 25% and potentially cut it if you know gdp comes in lower than expected or if we're underperforming the g7 or the the, the eurozone um but those are just words at the end of the day, you know, yes, the conservatives have gone up and down on corporation tax, but at the end of the day, those supposedly conservative right-wing values is lower taxes. They don't want another tax on top of the already house-building tax that, they, that they've got. Um, I think that sort of, um, you know, like we discussed in your previous podcast, the whole um, red tape, you know, surrounding land buying. Um, they might, you know, they might supposedly, even though they don't say it, you know, they they might actually want that in place just so that they can keep the rest of the the smaller builders out of the market um, to keep, you know, their first time how first time buy houses, um, the prices of those um, elevated per se. Um, it's one of the reasons, actually, why you know, through some market manipulation and and lower builds, lower supply, that they've managed to actually increase the average selling price. If you look at the top four, top five builders, their average selling prices have actually increased nominally uh, in a year where house prices were declining. So, um, you know, I, I yeah, I would say they they probably want the a Tory government. Yeah.
0: With regards to the future, we recently had. Uh the independent breaker story that the Conservatives were considering a 99% mortgage. What implication do you think that that will have on the housing market?
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, people just don't learn from, from history repeating itself. Um, I, I can, I can see why they would want that because, okay, at the end of the day, you've got to remember the Tory base, or at least the base of their voters, are people you know who are affluent, older, probably have a house or two, and they want their equity to go up, their house prices to go up. Um, the only way to artificially boost that is to offer these, you know, 99% mortgages products, um, boost that sort of home ownership because everyone wants a home now. Everybody can suddenly afford a home now. That artificially boosts that those house prices up. And everybody's happy in the Tory base, um, but over the long term, what does that actually solve the issue? I think it's just sort of you know PR. Um, let's let's try to inc- let's try to make two parties happy and try to make it sound as if everybody's going to win. Um, but if you've got poor credit quality, which is what I would assume a one percent LTV is going to do. Um, yeah, and especially at the the rate of unaffordability in this country when it comes to house prices, there's no guarantee that you know you're gonna be able to pay off that mortgage as well. So all these things taken into consideration, um, plus the fact that when you're on one percent LTV, who's gonna be able to afford that mortgage? It's either gonna be really long uh, or really high. <laughs> so yeah, it's just probably not gonna. It's probably just not gonna work out over the long term. Short term, yes. Um, long term, no. The UK
0: housing market in 2023 showed us that it was uh, quite resilient and so some of the expectations with regards to big drops in uh, house prices, some uh, economists uh, from some lenders who shall remain nameless were actually speculating up to 30% falls in UK property prices. Yeah. Given the disastrous 2023 and i say that from a lending perspective in terms of the options that were available why do you think that the house prices generally stayed where they are and we didn't
1: see that massive fall i mean you've got quite a few factors i would say um you've got say the main the main factor would probably be unemployment or lack thereof so you know not a lot of people um were unemployed or, or let go um that don't get me wrong there was still a lot of people but in relation to what you would call a recession you know those numbers are low the unemployment rate remained low like i said uh, a few minutes ago revised down even so um you've got money coming in people can pay off their mortgages Mm -hmm. um and then you've also got the fact uh which is something that everybody seems to miss out on right um the bulk of people who own houses uh, actually, mortgage-free. Um, either that, or their mortgage um, was taken up towards the um, sort of pandemic time as well, when interest rates, like you said earlier, were artificially low. Yes, you've got those people who, you know, were on a five-year from twenty seventeen renewing, and then, you know, oh dear, you've got that that huge jump. Um, but that portion, in the grand scheme of homeowners um isn't as big as everybody seems to think so because of that you know people are not rushing to sell which is why you had a frozen market um you know in in the middle of of, of last year um aside from that you've got real wage growth as well so people was, were not just not you, were still getting their paychecks but also you know higher incomes to to sort of offset that that slight increase or maybe sometimes not so slight increase in in those mortgage rates um and then most importantly um research from Jefferies the investment bank um, pointed out that 70% of mortgage debt is held by the top 4 income deciles so these people they can afford a 2 300 increase to the um, monthly rate no problem you know they're they're well off enough to to do that um and then plus the fact that you've got a lot of credit card spending nowadays you know they can yes they can pay their mortgage off, they can delay their spending, or rather get their, their repayments of their, their other household debts. Um, so all these factors I would say definitely helped. And most importantly, the lack of supply. House builders did not build a lot. In fact, some of them just suspended <laughs> halfway through. Um, they weren't buying land, you know, the, the market is essentially frozen. So you, you don't have that supply that's going to you know, topple over demand and you didn't have th- those sellers selling either. And finally, what do you think the outlook is for 2024? Um, I'm going to go against consensus uh, right now. Anyway, as of February um, or early February, because anything can change within a week. Um, But I'm going to say house prices. My base case isn't that it's going to go up by 5% nominally, but I wouldn't rule it out. My base case is still flat-ish with a slight uptick uh, year on year. And we're getting there already. To be fair, you know, if you look at the nationwide house prices, which some people argue are oh, isn't very indic- indicative because of the, you know, um, low volumes currently on mortgage approvals, um, and you just look at okay, fine, we'll do the real house prices from the ONS. Um, I think there's yeah there's room for it to come in flat, five um, percent. Why not? If mortgage rates come down, especially you know backloaded to us the second half of the year mortgage rates come down because the Bank of England finally pivots, right? Um, you've got a potential boost, like you said earlier, from a crazy idea, from from your your 99% mortgage, or some form of stimulus to the housing market. Um, And and right now, if you look at the recent nationwide data, right move data, the RSCS surveys, even, you know, the time that's taken um, between um, you know, inquir- inquiry to, to sale that that is short and buy interest is up as well. So all these factors combined, I would say would probably push the market up rather than down um, bar a black Swan event, obviously. Um, I don't think that I don't think that movement's going to start coming at least for another
0: few months we came out of the blocks in January a lot of the lenders cut their rates now what they were finding is there's a bit of a wobble some are going up some are going down some are favorably favorable some are favoring new purchases some are favoring remortgages and it seems to be balancing out but generally it's steady. I think still we're going to need to see some consistency here before people hear for a couple of months that rates are coming down and this, that and the other before we start have that take off. And I think it will coincide in March, April, May, June time if we have some stimulus from the government, if there's some stamp duty concessions in the budget. For that to feed then into summer with the first rate cut again, that feel-good factor comes in. And then yep. you're looking towards even purchase transactions that start then, maybe concluding, you know, come uh, September, October, November time, Christmas time, by which time I think that's where we'll see the rise. So I agree with you. I not only think that there's likely to be an increase, and a lot of people, especially online, are saying that there's going to be some big crash coming. I don't see that happening. And I do yeah. think there'll be an increase. I, I do agree with you. I think 5% is a good place to finish the year.
1: If we look yeah. at the majority of that activity coming in Q2. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you know, like what well, I, I like to call them do mongers, do You know, they've now- even YouTube's full the- of them, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's clickbait. I mean, it, it, generates, it generates clicks, like kind of like news, you know, like good news doesn't generate clicks, you know, bad news does um so same thing you know they, they've moved the goalposts they, they went for 20 30 percent nominal decline now they've moved it to real real um uh, um real prices or, or real declines which uh, in my opinion i had a, an exchange in my linkedin comment section uh, a couple of days ago saying it was um disingenuous for, to, to put it that way because you can't have your cake and eat it um if you get what i mean because you've got inflation already that's definitely gonna to you know um push that rail rate down and then you've got that nominal slight nominal decline Um and then they say oh yeah it pushes it closer but to, to label it like a crash it's a bit far-fetched because you know the majority of homeowners are not in negative equity you've got buy inquiries still up house prices on a nominal basis are still up pre-pandemic um so yeah and and and, and the rate of decline year on year has um it's almost zero percent now if you look at halifax it's, it's even positive on year on year so um yeah uh definitely definitely a bright outlook i would say and, and one last thing i would add actually um just today i don't know if you missed it um but the construction pmi was out so uh pmi for, for those who, who aren't familiar is basically sort of like a survey that they give out to all these construction firms um on whether they feel positive or, or negative about the you know the outlook um based on a bunch of factors like prices new orders backlogs you know um and what you'll find and, and very positively is that house builders for the fourth month in a row, uh, although still in contraction, um, ha- has probably bottom. So I think the bottom was at uh Let me check real quick. I think it was 30, 38.1 back in September. So now it's forty four point two. Like I said, still in contraction, but you know, it, it went from forty one point one in December. It's forty four point two in January. So that's a that's a huge jump. Um, and one thing I would say is that that doesn't necessarily mean that the entire industry is in contraction. Because don't forget that the house builders, you know, you've got the big five, they built like the bulk of houses. You know, if all five voted positive, they just constitute five votes. You know, the rest of the mid to smaller house builders, they could all vote no. We don't think it's, it's that great yet. That pushes the entire weight down. I would say, look at the the outlooks, you know, the the forward books that are uh, sort of guided for when the house builders report. I think uh, Bellway and Barrett are reporting tomorrow, sometime this week. So that's something to look out for if you want to see where house prices, you know, uh, are going to be and how the bills are, are coming up. You're muted, by the way.
0: still getting used to all the technology john before i let you go finally finally what's happening in john's world what are you up to these days what Uh, other areas have caught your interest
1: ah i mean busy picking stocks for to you know to make people money um one of my uh how's that going for you quite well i would say um you know one that hasn't worked so well so far i would say are banks uh i've been recommending lloyd's for not the past year so stagnant share price even down 20 percent, 70 um but you know I, I think there's room for upside um which i'll go into on a different episode um if, if you want to touch me on that um but um i'll ask you the- about that i won't touch you on that mate. if that's okay oh yeah sorry yeah <laughs> um i was gonna say i could touch on that <laughs> um yeah so um yeah lloyd's you know, not 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 doing very well, and and that is Bar case. But you know, a couple of picks like um, TSMC, uh, which I called for oh, mid last year, late last year, up twenty five percent. Google, despite its crash, still doing well. And you know, EasyJet, EasyJet. I've been telling everyone this is an underrated you know stock good not not financial advice obviously but it was obviously this
0: isn't financial advice and past performance does not constitute yeah. what's going to happen in the future easy yeah. to keep on sending me sales though john about this is the yeah. final day of our sale and get this on board and this that and the other so yeah. you still you, you still think that there's mileage in the airlines
1: oh yeah plenty more to go um, easy jet John, we... look at,
0: looking at but just not even easy jet just uh, obviously a lot of these other carriers if you're looking at booking uh, flights to get away uh with a family at any point of this year just some of the, the costs of some of these flights are just eye-watering compared yeah. to these prices i've got in my head of pre-covid and yeah. this is getting used to the new norm that whenever yeah. you jump on a plane these days unless it is a low-cost carrier yeah. you're going to be paying for it aren't you yep
1: yeah. And and the, and the crazy thing is as crazy as it sounds because the, this sort of stuff isn't you know taught in your know, economics textbooks because they'll tell you that travel is a luxury good arguably it's a discretionary spend you know during times of, of recession or you know low economic growth you're gonna probably you know pull back on that uh, quite the opposite has happened if you look at the latest Barclays spending credit card data um, today that just came out. Travel is still up there, you know, double digit, solid double digit growth um, in terms of spending, and people are not stopping. You look at the forward books um, that that you know Johan Lindgren, the CEO of EasyJet, guided for. You would never imagine that this would be in a recession if I just showed it to you without any any context. Um, but yeah, people are just willing to spend.
0: I think I think what's happening here, John, is that you've got people who have come out of 2023, or because they're feeling that they're having to work so much harder, feel yeah. that they need that reward or to spend the quality time with the family. And if you're going to go and you know work your socks off uh, and make those sacrifices, you need some form of reward, partly to make yourself not feel that you're you know yeah. not a great you know dad or mum or whatever it is whatever ever so i, I don't think I, I think demand especially after covid and lockdown when all of that was taken away from us it just yeah. made you want it even more didn't it so when the yeah. barriers opened we were rushing on to try and get
1: away which obviously okay. spiked prices yeah and two three years later that's still the case you know i think uh, you know potentially more working from home habits also have a factor to play you know you're stuck in your house you're, you're looking at the screen all day you know um you probably just want to escape and then plus the fact that you know holidaying in the uk isn't exactly cheap either you could get a much better deal much better experience uh, flying EasyJet with a package holidays which is one of the, the reasons why i advocated for a buy um you know um it, oh, much cheaper much better value.
0: I remember reading in the, I think it was the Daily Mail, or I saw an article in the Daily Mail, these two friends from the UK wanting to get together, rather than getting on a train and meeting up, it was significantly cheaper for them to both fly to Europe to meet each other than to even get across our country. So yeah, I don't think, you know, any of these staycations uh, uh, obviously developed uh, from the COVID area, uh, <laughs> with the prices as they are, sometimes it is cheaper to jump on a plane, isn't it?
1: It is. Um, you know, I, I was just looking through just now. Um, you know, one of those glamping spots in Lake District. Uh, so they give you like this this pod with a hot tub. Uh, it's four hundred quid for two nights for two people. You could you you can take that, fly to Egypt or Morocco. You know, stay there for four days, three nights with the flight included, and probably on a half board during the winter um for that price so it doesn't make sense uh plus the train travel to go to lake district as well probably cost you 100 quid maybe if you don't have a rail car 500 so you know in total so it, yeah you could find way better value and a much better experience doing something else elsewhere i don't think
0: i've ever been camping and i think if i told my wife we were going to go in camping i think i'd be uh single very soon. John, yes. as always, it's been great catching up with you and hearing Thank your you. insights about what's happening on the market. And for those of you who are listening in, this is another episode concluding of Riz Talks Money. And we have had the pleasure of the company of John Chong from uh, Investor Reviews with us today. Join us for next time for more topics of conversation around money and finance, and we shall see you soon. Take care.